0: Uh, I want to deliver a message to you today entitled, God's Outpouring. We've watched this kind of happen across our country. started out in, uh, at Asbury College in, uh, in Kentucky. And over the course of time, I mean, they went days upon days upon days. Ultimately, the, uh, the um, leaders of the college had to do something different because kids weren't going to class I mean, there was definitely a quandary for those leaders at Asbury to kind of figure out how, how, what are we going to do? They're not here to have revival. They're here to go to class, but we are so glad that there's revival, but they need, can y'all understand? I mean, so, so don't, don't tear down the leadership there because they had to end some things. I can kind of understand it, but, but here's the deal. God is pouring himself out in multiple places across the country. Amen. And uh, I've been a believer that I know that as a pastor, I just, I just have this innate sense that as a pastor, I'm going to pastor a church that one day is going to experience God's outpouring. I just have always believed, now this is my second church, and just to put you at a comfort level, I don't plan on a third one. I plan on staying, my wife says, thank you. I plan on staying here for the rest of my life if you all will put up with me. Uh, I know you'll put up with with Diane. I'm certain of that. Uh, Quick story. I remember when we took the church up in West Branch, uh, they had uh, a system whereby after the new pastor had been there for six months, then the board, excuse me, the congregation would get together and vote on whether or not they wanted to keep the new pastor. I know. They give you six months and then decide you're in or you're out. And, uh, well... Through the grace of God, we grew the church very quickly from about 30 people to over 150 people in that first six months, and they didn't want to have that voting day per se. And I said, "You have to have it because it's it's in the church constitution, so you have to do it." And so, uh, and I had made a lot of people mad. I'm sorry, I don't do that on purpose, but I'm probably gonna make some of y'all mad this morning. Oh no, my wife says I'm all right because Diane's here. So the day they did the vote, uh, this is the part I'm getting to. The day they did the vote, they, we were like 100. I think 100 people showed up for the vote. And uh, so they gave us a call a little later on. And, and they just did a kind of tongue-in-cheek joke. And the, the main elder called and said, well, Pastor Rick, 100 people showed up. And 98 want Diane to stay. <laughs> I am not exaggerating. So I'm all good as long as she's here. (laughs) All right, let me get to the business at hand. God's outpouring. I want us to learn together how to seek after the presence of the Lord. How to enter in to his presence. And how to be hungry to the point of desperation. Hunger is not easy to teach. I remember Diane said to me one time when I was preaching about hunger in the church up in West Branch, and she said, you have a problem on your hands, honey. And I said, well, what's that? We're Americans. We don't know what being hungry feels like. And here you are talking about being hungry every week, and we're not from a third world country where they're they're starving. And so we don't really have a sense of what it should feel like to be hungry. Now, maybe some of you... and if you've ever fasted for any uh, extended period of time you understand what hunger feels like but by and large most of us in this room only know when our body the body clock says hey you normally eat about now so go to the fridge and get something and most of us in this room have eaten knowing we weren't even hungry when we were doing it are you like me you go look in the fridge and just stand there If I stand here long enough, something will just appear. And I'm standing there and I'm not even hungry, but I'm thinking uh, maybe I could drink some pickle juice or something, you know? Have a mayonnaise sandwich. Some are you're like, I'm not going to be hungry all day long. Thanks, Pastor. So I understand that there's really no way to teach you how to be hungry. That's something that has to come from within. There's no way for me to teach you how to be desperate for the presence of God. I can't, that's not even my job, right, to teach you how to be desperate, to teach you how to be hungry, to teach you how to be thirsty. And so that's why I started my introduction was I want us to learn together how to seek after the presence of God. Because I don't know about you, we need to be seeking after the presence of God, whether we're hungry or thirsty or desperate or not. Right? And so we just had a Wednesday night um, prayer and worship service. I think about 30, 35 people showed up or something like that. And we just had a powerful time in the presence of the Lord. And uh, but, but I still walked away from it going, where's the hunger? I apologize. I mean... I walked away I wasn't I didn't walk away disappointed. I had a fantastic time in the presence of the Lord and I know most of y'all if not all of y'all had a fantastic time in the presence of the Lord, right? But I still walked away going, where's the hunger? Where's the desperation? If you are desperately thirsty because you've been in the desert for days and you're parched and your mouth is parched and your lips are cracked and parched and, and and you've got to have something to drink. And then you come in, let's say you come in here and there's this water flowing up front, but you're like, I'm just going to stay back here. I've done this analogy before. Let's say, let's say over on this wall over here, there's this water fountain. And it's like got a halo on it, you know, because it's from heaven. It's a heavenly water fountain. And there's just water streaming up out of it. And maybe, maybe the Lord is flashing a neon sign that says drink and have your thirst quenched. Do you realize that you're not gonna get a drink from there? I told you I was going to make you mad at me. So do you know how you, gotta, how you get a drink? You go to where the water's at. Huh? So there isn't a water fountain over there, just saying. But I believe that the, the, the water of the Lord's presence, the, the food of the Lord's presence, the, the glory of his presence is available to us. And it's not reliant upon Me. It's not reliant upon the 90 minutes of guitar playing and singing that I did that night, which was amazing. I had a great time. I just just dug every second of it. But you know what? Even that, no matter how much I prepare or try not to prepare just so it can be kind of a free-flow thing, it's still not dependent on what I bring. Huh? And it's not dependent on whether you show up it's dependent on whether or not you show up so hungry and thirsty that nothing's going to keep you from the water fountain. Huh? Can I get a witness from somebody? So I want us to learn as best we can how to be hungry for the Lord's presence, how to be thirsty for the Lord's presence. And when I use the word desperate for the Lord's presence, that's, that's kind of fraught with some trouble because a lot of times... You, you enter into desperate times, and that creates in us a desperation for the answer to our trouble. But you know what I think God's looking for? is not people that are just after Him desperately when they're going through desperate times, but people who are desperate for Him just because of who He is. I can't teach that. That's something that you have to kind of come into yourself. The Bible teaches us in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 verses 14 through 15 if Oh, I love that little two letter word. If there's not a bigger conditional word in the English language than the word if. Huh? It's like showing up and saying, I know that God's presence is in this water fountain over here. I'm so thirsty, but he needs to bring me some water so I know he's real. A lot of people show up in church and say, I need the preacher to speak a word over me. So I Listen, here's your word right here. Here's your word right here. And so uh, if my people who are called by my name, that would be you and I, believers of Jesus Christ will humble themselves. Humble. And pray. As believers, we should really welcome and adore that word. Pray. And yet it seems to be in my history, in my, what Diane and I have seen over the years, is that people that you think would pray, don't. heavenly silence in the room right now so it says if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray that says to me i take some humbling of myself to pray right so praying isn't about standing up here and being all eloquent and being you know like the pharisee that looked over at the tax collector and i said i thank you lord that i'm not like him and and you know i do this and i do that and for the for you lord and so i know you're going to hear me you ain't going to hear that guy that's not what i'm talking about there's some humbling that has to come sometimes just to fall on your face and cry out for the water to cry out for the food and if you're not desperate i'd hit my face in the altar and cry out for desperation lord i don't exactly know how to be desperate for you, would you show me how to be desperate for you? I encourage you to fall on your face in desperation before you ask him that. (laughs) If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, seek my face, seek some time with Papa God, with Abba Father, You know, I got some beautiful grandbabies, and I got 10 beautiful grandbabies, and the little ones will come sit in my lap, and they'll take me by the face and turn my face to them, because they want me to be looking at them and not the golf match, (laughs) right? You know what they're doing? They're seeking Papa's face, attention, eyes. They don't want nothing from me, just for me to pay attention, to hear them to love them. You see, you gotta humble yourself and you gotta, you gotta pray and you gotta seek his face. That means, Papa God, I don't need nothing. I need a lot, but I don't want nothing from you tonight. I just wanna be with you. I wanna sit in your lap and lean against you and I wanna see your face. I wanna see your gaze. I wanna feel your breath. Glory, hallelujah. Woo! I feel desperate. In a good way, just saying it to you all. See, we only come to God a lot of times because we got our laundry list and our wish list. I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this. Would you that? Would you this? Would you this? Would you that? Thank you. See you next time. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and here's the kicker, y'all. And turn... From their wicked ways. The way we say that nowadays is repent of their sins. Who's he talking to? The world? No. If my people who are called by my name will do these things, then, then, then I'll hear their prayers. What? What? That means if I don't do those things, there's a probability he's not hearing my prayers. We like that one, don't we? So if I will come to him and humble myself, get rid of Rick, and just fall on my face before him and seek his face, his attention, pray, Then he's just going to do all the stuff. No, I've left out one key element. And this is a a word that's often not even spoken in today's church. Repent. And some people think that's just for the world. There's a balance between understanding that you're already forgiven for all of your sins because of what Jesus Christ did at the cross of Calvary. But there's another element that we need to understand as human beings is that we are corrupt and that we are imperfect and we need to come run to the Father and say, Father, I have sinned, forgive me. The watered down gospel (coughs) tries to say, we'll just remove, repent from the entire vocabulary. That's why we're in the state that, not Michigan, but the state that we're in as a country is because of what's happened behind pulpits and in churches across America. So if you'll humble yourself, pray and seek his face. That means it didn't say pray and ask for everything. There's nothing wrong with bringing your petitions to God and asking him for things. But you know what? He already knows what you have need of even before you ask him. When's the last time you prayed, coming into his presence, recognizing, I already know you know what I need. And I'm grateful that you know what I need better than I know what I need. So I ain't even going to ask for nothing. I'm just going to worship you, daddy. Papa. messing with some of y'all's holy cow. Thank you. Praise the Lord. I ain't even made it past my second paragraph yet. Might be an hour today. Seek his face and turn from your wicked ways. Then everybody say then. then. See the first few things were if, and guess who they were dependent upon? Not him you and me That part of God's move was not dependent upon him The ultimate result is dependent upon him but we don't even ta- we don't even tap into the territory of results unless we do our part And our part is to humble ourselves and to pray and to seek his face and to turn from our sins Then everybody say then He goes on to say, then I'll hear your prayer. So then I'll hear from heaven. In other words, then I'll hear your prayer. And then I'll forgive your sins. And then I'll heal your land. Now, let me help you with something, y'all. We all hear the word heal the land, and we think of America. I get that. I understand that. But I look at it a little bit closer to my own land. I'm not talking about the piece of property my house sits on. My two daughters and my son-in-laws and my ten grandchildren and all of our family members. He'll heal. If I'll do these things, then he will do these things. And one of the things he'll do is heal my land. Heal my people. Heal those that I have an influence over. You can pray. You can pray for your family members to get saved until the Lord Jesus comes back. But if you don't start doing some of the stuff you're supposed to be doing in the process, you got empty Christianity Paragraph three. <laughs> now, our society has come a long way, and I'm glad. I appreciate, you know, technology. I'm so glad that we don't have to use the flip phone anymore or to have, have the, uh, the coily elastic wire, you know, that will only get you to the kitchen counter, you know, until we bought longer ones that would get us at least from the kitchen to the bathroom. Huh? So I do appreciate, you know, society and how far society has come along in in regards to that. So some of it we can certainly be glad about. But unfortunately, our society also feels like they have outgrown the need for God. And let me help you with something, y'all. People have outgrown The idea of their need for God because of what they've seen in church folks. They see church folks that dress all up in their religious attire and accoutrements, go to a church service, and then, you know, I always put it this way you you bat like sheep on Sunday and oink like pigs the rest of the week. Have I made anybody mad yet? It's only paragraph three. Y'all hang on to your bustles. I'm not, I didn't write this message to make anybody mad. Don't, don't think that. I'm not a, a mad preacher. But people have outgrown their need for God. They don't, they, don't, they don't want church, certainly. They don't want religion, absolutely. And in fact, I hate religion. And I believe... That what we need, and that is missing, predominantly missing throughout churchdom today, is good old-fashioned preaching. Good old-fashioned singing. Good old-fashioned Christianity. See, it used to be that when someone said, did you hear about Uncle Ned? No, what happened with Uncle Ned? He done went and got religion. That used to be a good thing. Uncle Ned got religion. Hallelujah. The rest of the family ran to church because if Uncle Ned can get religion, I can get religion too. Of course, now religion is a bad word. Right? We need some good old-fashioned religion. Are you hearing me? Good old-fashioned preaching. Good old-fashioned Christianity. What, What does that look like? Well, it used to look like this. Uh, everyone would have a certain tone of voice. In other words, to really get good old-fashioned preaching, I, don't talk, I won't talk to you like Rick. Reverend, I'll be Reverend Rick. Oh, excuse me, Reverend Richard James Lopez Esquire. Because I serve God. Huh? Isn't that cool? No, it's not cool. So it used to be a certain tone of voice. Uh, I don't know if any of y'all have ever seen this. I've seen it. jumping in the pews. Anybody ever been in a church service where the preacher stood on the back of the pews? Can you imagine? I'm up here preaching the whole time looking for a path on the back of chairs. Once I get to Brother Russ there, I'm just going to knock him out of the way because I'm going on back to the back because we know the real sinners are in the back. <laughs> that used to, I, I've been there, you know, jump up on the back of the pews. My dad was a preacher, and he'd jump up on the back of the pews and preach like a maniac. I never did see him fall off of one. Even back then, as a rebellious young kid, I was thinking, it would be so cool if you fell off one of these. (laughs) And I'll remember that for the rest of my life. But what is the characteristic that sets the old-fashioned preacher apart from the new age, modern day, watered-down cesspool of self-improvement feel-good speeches that happen from a lot of churches nowadays? They've altered everything. In most churches, in many churches, this room isn't a sanctuary. It's an auditorium. In many churches, this holy desk right here is not a pulpit. It's a podium. In many churches, the pastor isn't Pastor Rick. He's Rick. You see... We have blamed a lot on preachers who've watered a lot down, but it's because congregations have watered a lot down, and now we can blame that on preachers who've watered a lot down. So what do we need? We need bold preaching without compromise. I promised you all that the first day that I was here that I would preach an uncompromised, bold message. One of the greatest reasons for America's moral washout is the watered-down sermons coming from our pulpits today. And we need preachers that will be brave enough to stand up behind the pulpit before God's people and say, thus saith the Lord, and not apologize for it. And I found myself in that trap over the last 27 years where I kind of backed away just a little bit because, you know, a bunch of people left or whatever. I'm human as well but I always seem to find my way back to being the Rick that God has called me to be and to deliver the word of God the way he's called me to deliver the word of God. People today in our society are very bold about their sin. Come on, you can't even watch a commercial without seeing two guys kiss each other or two women kiss each other. They're so bold about sin that laws are now passed that it's illegal for a teacher to call a parent they have to help those young children have reassignment surgeries to change their sex and and apparently America's coming to the place where you as a parent no longer have the right to even know about it The world is open and blatant about its sin and the church, for the most part, have their heads in the sand and are more comfortable with the four-inch cushion that they're sitting on in church than to wear some holes in the bottom of their shoes going out preaching the gospel to people out on the street corner. What's the matter with us? You're only hungry for a church service. Y'all still love me? Good, good. Be chicken dinner later on. Praise God. Sometimes, and this is the horrible thing, even Christians are bold about their sin, flaunt their sin. The number of churches nowadays that will ordain same-sex marriages and gay ministers those that stand up, and I just saw this this week, gay church, gay friendly church, if you want to call it that. The pastor and says, uh, you're gay, I'm gay, God's gay. Did you all know God was gay? And he didn't mean happy. Because sin, they're bold. Even Christians, so-called Christians, are bold about their sin. How dare you confront me with the sin in my life? And say, if you don't like it, lump it. It's who I am. It's how God created me. No, 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 no. That's just how your life got distorted by people who say that they are God followers. Preachers ought to be bold. Bolder than the world. And begin to cry out against sin. I didn't say stand up here and point a bony finger at you but to to tell you what thus saith the Lord. My job isn't to judge you. My job, job isn't to penalize you. My job is to preach the word of God the way God has shown me to preach the word and let the chips fall where they may. Back in the olden days, preachers like me would get tarred and feathered and carried out of town on a pole. Now they just leave the church and go to another more comfortable place. Not saying that has happened lately. (laughs) The need of the hour for the church, for America, for our children, for our grandchildren is men and women who will stand up and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If you don't feel that's the right message, you better take that up with Jesus Christ because that was his message. You don't think that's the right message. You ought to take it up with his cousin John who that's all he preached was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And you can sit there and look at me and say, but he wasn't talking to the church. Fine, the church wasn't even around then. So that's a mute argument. I read a wonderful book a number of years ago called Christianity Without the Church. What would that look like? Might look pretty good. You're thinking, what are you doing, pastor? Well, I pastor a church, I know, but I want Jesus to look at Resurrection Life Church here in St. Louis, Michigan, and go, you know what, that's about as close to what I want my church to look like as I can see anywhere else. I didn't say so we can be holier than thou. I don't want Jesus to look at us and go, what are they doing? That's not my plan. That's not what I said. That guy's distorting the word. Bold preaching should feel like it's aimed right at you. In fact, I, I will argue just a little bit when the true anointing's there, you'll think that I pinpointed you and was looking at you the whole time that I'm preaching today. That's why I'm con- constantly to scan across the audience of sinners, praise God. It should feel like, and I like going to a church service where I get this feeling. Like the preacher is picking on me the entire sermon. I'd be like, did you see that? Every time he, he just looked at me the whole time. She's like, Oh, I thought he was looking at me. <laughs> Number one on your handout. You thought I forgot, didn't you? You know, they put that... Uh, That backdrop up there, so I can't see the clock in the office anymore. That's much to your chagrin. Number one, the dedicated believer seeks out a church where they can be uncomfortable. Not just a place where they can fit in. Thank you for your enthusiasm. You need to go to a church where you can be made to feel uncomfortable every now and again. I don't, I wouldn't suggest going to a church where that was the preacher's motive to make you uncomfortable. But to go to a church where you know you're going to hear the word of God. And that word may pierce your heart and like a double-edged sword, cut you asunder. That's scripture, by the way. Unfortunately, across our nation, preachers stand up behind the pulpit. Try not to rock the boat. Just talk 30 minutes about not much. Let's not upset the apple cart and challenge the people too much because you know then they may leave us and we won't have the cashola to do all of our programs. D.L. Moody said this, good preaching will make people get right or get mad. It was D.L. Moody who said that. Unfortunately, we really don't live in a good day for Jesus Christ. Let me explain. The teachings of Jesus are not popular teachings nowadays. The, the church is not popular nowadays. Christianity is demonized as a group of bigots and hypocrites. Uh, there's no desire hardly across our country for any purity or any ideal of overcoming sin. And many people want the world, their world, the old world, and the church too. They want all of it. Just give me, let me live however I want to live and let me come to church on Sunday and feel good about life. You know what it's called, right? It's called user-friendly. You want a definition of user-friendly? That's you. It's user-friendly, which means that the church will provide to the people the things they want instead of the things that God wants. It's a church that makes it acceptable to be a Christian and still wallow in all of your sin. Now, I'm not the guy who chooses to preach on sin every Sunday and you should be grateful about that, but this is where the Lord has me right now because that scripture said, "If my people You want an outpouring? You can't just want it because woo, we had an outpouring at Res Life. If my people who are called by my name. In other words, those who call themselves Christians. Will humble themselves. Pray and seek my face and repent. Then will I hear their prayers and I'll forgive their sins and I'll heal their land. We are by definition, as Christians, supposed to be a people of ifs and thens. If we'll do this, then he'll do that. And I'll tell you right now, what he will do will far outweigh anything that we will ever do. But we want him to do all that without us doing any of the ifs. And that ain't even Bible. That ain't going to how it's go- that ain't- That's not how it's going to happen we'll have church and we'll all feel good about our service and the song service and blah, blah, blah. And we'll all go home and live however we want all week and put on a good show on Sunday. There have been famous preachers across the country that have transferred their mode of operation as a church from being life transforming sinners. To having the name of the game be the largest church in the city. No matter what it takes to become the largest church in the city. Number two on your handout. The church should be God friendly rather than user friendly. The church should be God friendly rather than user friendly. Now, I understand, listen, I don't want to go to church and get beat up every week. I get that. You get beat up enough in life. Okay? If I'm stepping on your toes, and I pray that I am, we'll have a toe healing line at the end of the service where I'll lay hands on all ten of your little piggies. (laughs) So we should be a God-friendly church, brother. Sister, rather than a user-friendly church. We're not here to be people-pleasers. We're here to be Ah, God-pleasers. Now, the user-friendly church is also known as the seeker-sensitive church. The problem with the user-friendly, seeker-sensitive church, the largest church in town, is that the watered-down gospel is done in order to attract people to the we want it our way. Is that McDonald's or Burger King? Yeah. Yeah. You, you want us to be the McDonald's of churches? Have it your way. I think, it, I think it's Burger King that they do the have it your way and they finish it off with you rule. Y'all are thinking, how come you know so much about hamburger commercials? Let's just give the people what they want. Let's make sure they're entertained. Let's just make sure that they stay happy. Let's make sure they like us. That's not what society is looking for nowadays, friends. They're looking for some place they can go where they hear the truth. The truth in love not a mad truth. Are y'all hearing me? Preachers, by and large, in many cases, have forsaken their commitment to preach what Jesus preached the way he preached it. He was the most razor-sharp preacher that walked on the planet Earth, and yet he was so coated in love that people gravitated toward his message like no other. So God's outpouring... Friends experiencing an outpouring of God doesn 't just happen it 's not something you know where God's like gets up in the morning, you know, and he's
1: like
0: oh, I think i 'll pour myself out on Resurrection life Church today <laughs> But first, I need some heavenly coffee so it doesn't happen that way we. This is one of the things that probably upsets people's apple cart is to think that we have as much to do with the outpouring as God does. That's the that's the balance of the if and then passage in 2nd Chronicles. Now, I mean some of y'all, how many of y'all are farmers? Raise your hand if you're a farmer. Farmers. Okay, cool. Awesome. Raise your hand if you know a farmer. Cool. Awesome. Uh, Raise your hand if you eat food that a farmer grew. (laughs) Sort of like the farmer. Imagine telling the farmer, you don't have to do anything to get a harvest. Just sit in the living room and look out the front window. It'll be all right. Right, brother? That's all you got to do. Just sit down and let God do it. What would happen? Here's what would happen. We'd all starve. If farmers just went, it's God's business. He'll do it all. I don't need to do nothing. I'll just look out my window and watch the plants grow. And sing glory, glory, hallelujah. Unless the farmer uses his tools and the gifts that God has gave him to produce a crop, they'll be no crop now once he's done his part right brother i bet there might be a I, my brother chafing over there and his family major farmers in the area i imagine that there's probably times after you've done all the work you know to do that you might just look out your front window and say okay god do it do something now do something now bring the right rain at the right time and the right temperature and keep the bugs out huh I'm not a farmer, so what do I know? So when the farmer does his part, God does his. And what God does is always greater than what the farmer does. That's the beautiful thing. God has much of a direct influence on producing a crop of grain as he does in producing revival. Revival, I I dare to present to you is not up to God. I truly believe this about my Father in heaven. He so desires to pour out his unhindered, unfettered presence on his people. I know that's true because he stood over Jerusalem and wept that they missed their moment of visitation. That means that in his heart, he's saying, y'all just give me something to bless stuff, I'll come do my stuff and my stuff's going to be way better than your stuff. You'll write books about my stuff. You don't need to write nothing about your stuff. And he shared with us what we need to do. Humble ourselves. Pray. Seek his face. Repent. Second Chronicles, there you go. What a powerful text. He's saying that if people will do this and do it the way I instruct them to do, then I will do my thing. You don't need a Greek lexicon or a Hebrew dictionary to decide and decipher what that means. God will confirm his word. Revival, we've used that word and what, what you know, we've been talking about revival And I'll be honest with you all. Wednesday night when we got together, there was a part of me that was like,
1: ooh, maybe, just maybe,
0: we'll have an Asbury pour outpouring right here in little old St. Louis. And I tried to, I walked a fine line between that and Lord, let me just drop everything that I got, everything that I am, and let me just worship you and let the people run after you like there's no tomorrow. So, revival. I would imagine that every one of us here would say, I want that to happen at my church. You've seen what's happening at Asbury and across the And if you have any kind of hunger for God at all, you're probably thinking, well, I want that in my city. I'd like to experience that. Hey, I want that to happen here. But friends, you need to understand that revival is not like a trip to the mall where you can window shop what you want and what you don't want. So what is revival? There are various ways to describe it. But when it's all boiled down, revival is a renewal of the first love. Of Christians that results in an awakening and results in the conversion of sinners. Fundamental definition of revival. So, show me a place where awakening and conversions are taking place, and I'll show you a place where God's people are responding to the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. There's another word we don't like in our new modern day church. We don't like the word sin, we don't like the word repentance. And we certainly don't like the word conviction. And let me help you with something. Conviction and condemnation are not the same thing. There is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. But Jesus said, I send my Holy Spirit to convict you of sins. Revelation 2, verses 4 through 5, I have this complaint against you. The Lord says, you don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you've fallen. And and keep in mind, this text wasn't written to the world either. It was written to the church. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. And if you don't repent, I'm going to come and I'm going to remove your lampstand from its place. Here's what I believe happens. Churches decide they only want to go so far, so deep in the Lord and no further. Nothing that requires too much of them. Certainly, just let me be happy with life and be happy in my sin and I'll come to church and you can, you know, you can shake me up a little bit. But don't shake me up too much because you know, I need to have my ears tickled and I need to feel better about what you're saying. And the Lord says if you don't do what you're supposed to do. He's, I, now I'd love to do a study on what this figuratively Metaphorically and maybe literally means that he's going to remove our lampstand. So we just become a church, has church, gathers in the people, gathers in the offerings, builds bigger buildings, does do more programs, do everything we can to meet everybody's need all the time. Certainly don't do anything to ruffle any feathers and only preach the feel-good stuff. And yet, and yet, Jesus said in Luke 13, 5, unless you repent, you shall all perish. If Jesus preached it, I think it's okay for me to preach it. And I understand there's a a, a balance. I wouldn't even want to come to a church if every single week all the preacher talked about was sin. I get that. But right now, we are on the threshold of potential revival, of a potential move of God. And I don't know that we know how to press into that together. I don't know that we understand what it requires of us together. And, and I want that outpouring. I, I've shared this with you hundreds of times that I'd so desire to see blind eyes opened, deaf ears unstopped, those who've never spoken, sing how great thou art. Those who've never walked, run up and down the aisles of this church. So much of the glory of God, they bring dead people here and they're raised from the dead. So much of the glory of God that demon possessed show up and have demons cast out of them. Now, I don't need to see all of that to believe that my God does it. But that won't stop me from wanting to see it in my lifetime. I'm kind of tired of just reading about it. I want to see it. If this church grows, let it never be because we have a great music program. If this church grows, let it never be because we have a great children's program, a great youth ministry, a great facility. If this church grows, let it be because people got wind that God is moving in that place. And I'm gonna go over there and get what God has for me. Hallelujah! That's gotta be our desire. People will get saved. And I don't mean run to an altar of I'm sorry, God, but run to an altar of I'm repenting, Lord, I'm unworthy. I grew up in the day when preachers walked on the back of the pews. And I, I grew up in the day when during the song service and during the preaching, people would run from the back of the room screaming with tears running down their face saying, I'm a sinner, I need to get saved. And now what we get predominantly what we get is people who apologize are habitual apologers. That's the wrong word. Apologizers. <laughs> habitual apologizers. There's no repentance there. What that says is I feel bad that I did such and such and I want to feel better about how I feel. So I'm sorry. And God's not interested in Sorry. He's interested in repentance that is a change of heart, that is a turning of the way. And I'm not saying that there's never a chance you'll ever fail in that area again. Of course there is. You're a a human being. But we shouldn't have a lifestyle of Christianity where we are habitual apologizers for the same thing. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. And there's no qualifier on that text that goes, the wages of sin for those who've never accepted Jesus. There's not a disclaimer there. This is is all across the board, y'all. Whether you're a Holy Ghost-filled, Bible-toting, devil-stomping believer, the wages of sin is still death. Or whether you're a rock-gut sinner, the wages of sin is still death. And they wouldn't even want to think about the wages, the increase in the wages of sin for those who know better than those who don't know yet. So what we need is some good old-fashioned preachers. I don't know if I'm old enough. We need preachers to, to say that abortion is murder and not choice. We need preachers that will say that alcoholism, alcoholism is a sin, not a symptom. We need preachers that... Uh, we need to hear preachers say that having sex with, sex with someone other than your spouse is not just an affair, it's an adultery. We need preachers that are willing to say that having sex outside of marriage is more than just a one-night stand. It's fornication. Wages of sin is death. And we do need some good old-fashioned preaching against sin. We need more old-fashioned preaching on how to live a godly life. We need more old-fashioned preaching on how to live a holy lifestyle according to the word. Not not according to some man-made tradition of religion. Not according to some tenets of faith or rules constitutionally in a church. But according to the word of God. I'm going to close up with this. It's the best and worst part of the message. You want to know how to enter into God's presence? Then you need to start desiring a good dose of conviction. That's another word we don't like. That's a tough one, right? Why in the world would I want more conviction? And we should welcome conviction. Number three on your paper... Is lay out the welcome mat for conviction when it comes knocking on your heart's door. Because you need to understand something. When you no longer have conviction, you need to worry. Because that may just be the moment that the Holy Spirit has decided to quit dealing with you. As long, and I don't sin to feel conviction, but I am grateful for conviction because that means that the Holy Spirit is squeezing me and twisting me and adjusting me. And I'm so grateful to know that the Holy Spirit is still after Rick Lopez and is trying to get the best out of him. That don't mean I sin so I can have conviction so I can feel better about the Holy Ghost. (laughs) If you're going to worry, if you can sin without any conviction, you should worry. John Jesus said in John 16:8 that the Holy Spirit would be the convicting force on planet earth. It's part of his job. Why would we say you no longer do that job? You should welcome it. And if you're not getting it, you should pray for it. What? Pray for conviction? Are you nuts? Well, yes to both questions. The psalmist David said that he would hide God's word in his heart so that he might not sin against God. Why? So he could quote a scripture? No, because the Holy Spirit used the scripture to convict him of his wrong, even in the Old Testament. Before a person can overcome sin, they got to become aware of the sin. And not just an awareness because some other person says it's a sin, but because the Holy Spirit has poked your heart and there's something inside. They go, there's something not right here. The world we live in today has contempt for conviction. Churches have contempt for conviction. Heaven forbid the preacher talk about conviction. And I'm just one of those preachers I have learned in my life. Welcome conviction. Lay out the welcome mat. Holy Spirit, You have every right to convict my life of wrongs because I want to live right in the eyes of God. I want to do what pleases Him. But my humanity gets in the way so often and I'm so blinded to my own mess that I don't even know what's going on. So Holy Spirit, I need you. I don't just need you to illuminate the word. I don't just need you to give me voice to preach your word. I need you to convict my very being so that I can fall on my face before God to humble myself and to turn from my sins and to pray and to seek his face. Because I want the then in my life. And I don't just mean in the church life. I mean in my life. I want to live all my days madly in love with this woman. I want to live all my days watching my children continue to grow. And to see them so pursuant of God that it's crazy. I want to live long enough to see my grandchildren maybe become preachers. Maybe become missionaries but be so sold out for God. I think I better close. Because I'll be honest, I could preach all afternoon. We still have 20 minutes before we hit afternoon, but. Number four on your handout revival always includes Christians being convicted of their sins. So I would be pretty careful, y'all, about desiring revival. Because revival always includes people being convicted coming face to face with their sins the beauty of it is, it isn't that we even though we we it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living god we don't stand before a judgmental god even though he is the judge and someday he will judge but at this time of grace under the cross of Jesus Christ, we don't stand before a judgmental God. We stand before a loving Father who simply wants us to desire Him more than anything else on planet Earth. We need to search our hearts. In true revival, as I said, Christians are always have to deal with conviction. So, today's message... Starts with you and me. But we also need some good old-fashioned Christians who will get seriously sold out for God. Fanatical. Crazy. Radical. Yeah, they, they said of Jeremiah, I think they said that Jeremiah was the troubler of Israel. We'd like to just make sure that we stay under the radar and nobody ever accuses us of be in trouble in the area. And I've been guilty of that. So God is looking for some people who will lay their decision cards on the table. Yeah, I want that to sink in for a minute because that's what we all have. We all have, we're all sitting in this church service today. And if you don't know by now that we're on the threshold of a potential powerful move of God, that's not relying on me. It's relying on us. you got a chance today to lay your decision card on the table or or just throw it in the trash. Or stick it back in your wallet, so to speak. Because you just ain't ready for that deep of an experience with the Lord. So God is looking for some people who will lay their decision card on the table. He's looking for some people that will get down on their knees, not just sit in their seats. He's looking for some people that will repent of their sins, not just continue to sin. He's looking for some people that will do this. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. This is who he is The beautiful thing is, is that He's so loving and so forgiving and so accepting and so gracious and so merciful that it doesn't matter how far down I've gone, how deep I've gone into sin, as long as I'll raise my head up and come to my senses and run to the Father and lay down my humility, get my—that's what the prodigal son did. He humbled himself. Jesus came to set us free, not keep us bound. Jesus came, Brother Jonathan, just you, come on up, please. Jesus came to deliver us from bondage, not keep us addicted. Follow the Spirit of the Lord. Right on. This is what entered my spirit just now, and I just said this statement, Jesus came to set us free, not keep us bound. And what came into my spirit was, if if you're bound by something, you need to get up out of your seat right now and come to the altar. Just don't come stand before me. Come fall before Christ. I'm going to read off a number of things, and I'm not not here to try to invoke some response from you. This is not a dog and pony show. You don't jump through hoops. For crying out loud, y'all be willing to put your card on the table. So Jesus came to set us free, not keep us bound. If you're bound by anything, get up out of your seat and come to the altar. Jesus came to deliver us from bondage, not keep us addicted. If you're addicted to anything, get up out of your seat, come to the altar now. Jesus came to lead us out of the old life, not bless us, To stay in it. if there's any part of who you are that's still the old you. Get up out of your seat and come to the altar now. Fall before the Lord in repentance. Remember y'all, this ain't about me. This is about you and him. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, not help us keep practicing them if there's any part of your life that you know, I know that what I'm doing is not of God, it is really, this is the devil's handiwork, then you need to come to the altar of repentance and you need to fall before God and humble yourself. Jesus came to give us life more abundantly, not leave us locked in our old ways. If you're still trapped in unforgiveness from the past, you're still holding that grudge against somebody, a parent, a friend, an ex-lover. You need to lay that stuff on the table. Cause he came, he came to give us a life more abundantly, not a life locked by the past. So if you're still locked by the past, I want to encourage you to lay your cards on the table, get up out of your seat, come to the altar of repentance this morning. Jesus came to set us free from sin, not to make it okay to keep sinning. If there's any part of your life where through the lens of the Holy Spirit, you can look at it and you go, I know that part is not what God wants for me. I need to let this go and you need to get up out of your seat and you need to come to the altar of repentance this morning because we are not going to have an, uh, God's outpouring unless God's people will humble themselves, will pray, will seek his face, will repent of their sins. It's then I'm challenging you to seek the Lord with all that's within you. And let me, let me say this as I close. I didn't ask you to come to an altar of apology. I asked you to come to an altar of repentance. The altar of apology simply says, I'm going to come to God because I feel bad about what I've done. And if I come to him, maybe I can get up feeling better myself about it no you know what you and i need we need a godly sorrow the bible teaches us that godly sorrow worketh repentance and that unto salvation so he's not looking for us to apologize and i will also submit this to you if you do not have a godly sorrow about your sin you need to ask god to give it to you that's the only way true repentance is going to come and the only way we'll ever see a move of god a revival if you will is if god's people are truly ready to repent of their sins So don't let anyone, absolutely no one talk you into living a worldly life with no restraints. Don't listen to the pundits on the news nowadays, the things that are going on on Facebook, and and, and don't get all caught up in the Grammy Awards and the Oscar Awards that's nothing more than a devil worshiping service. Don't be entertained by that stuff. Don't treat the word of God with loose convictions. Treat the word of God as though it's a life for you because it is. If you want to enter into the presence of God, then I'm just saying we need to make a decision. I'm ready for us to make a decision now. Do you want to enter into the holy presence of God? Do you want to experience His presence? His un—I mean, I'm not—I know we all experience His presence, but I'm just talking about man. The portals of heaven are just like all day long. Every room I went into, I just felt like I was walking into the glory of God. I got in my car, and I was like, man, I just felt started speaking in the Holy Ghost because God was all over the place, and man. If you wanna have that, you better be the person who is willing to humble himself, him or herself. Seek his face, pray, repent of your sins. If you want revival in this house and in this place and in this city, let it be about the lost in this city. Let it be about the hurting in this city. Don't, Don't seek revival so you can have a great Holy Ghost time at Resurrection Life Church. Seek revival because you have a burden on your heart for the lost and the dying in our community, in our county, in our state. And if you do not have a burden in your heart for the lost, then you need to be up here in the altar of repentance. Jonathan, just lead us in a little something. I'll bring us to a close here in a minute.
1: Thank you, Lord. Thank you, all. Bless him, Lord Jesus. Bless him, Lord Jesus. Bless our Father. To the...
0: Jesus bless each of you for coming this morning and let's just have a new journey together a journey seeking after God beloved that's what it's all about and in life you know what we all do the best we can on any given day there's nothing about what I've said this morning that says this requirement of perfection because that's unattainable this Earth suit, that's unattainable. That's why the repentance is a part of our lifestyle, because in this Earth suit, there's a good chance, and then you know, before the week's up, I'm going to mess up. It's just possible. It's possible for all of us. There's a good chance that before this week is up, I'm going to do something that's against what he said in here, and that's the moment that I. I say, Holy Spirit, please, if and when that happens, convict my heart so that I can run to the Father and say, Papa, I'm sorry. And Papa's just gonna look me with these beautiful eyes, not mine, but his, and he's gonna say, Ricky. Yeah, I think you'll probably use the word Ricky. I love you, son. Thanks for coming to me. You're gonna be all right. Now go on out and play. Can you say amen this morning? Give the Lord another shout and another praise. Praise God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah.